Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Revelation 9. Last Sunday we went all the way up to verse 12. So this morning we're going to be in Revelation 9, 13 through 21. And last Sunday's title was Be Careful What You Ask For. And today is the second part of that. This is interesting because this is a portion of Scripture which you don't see that often, but God has his reasons why he wants to show us certain things that we might not already know. And this is one of those portions of Scripture and this chapter where God really kind of removes the veil of the material world, this, you know, the temporal world, the physical world that we live in. And he gives us a glimpse. We saw it in Revelation 4 and 5. You see the throne room of God, his heavenly abode, the living creatures, the angels. Uh, well, in this chapter, we get to see the good angels and the fallen angels. We get to see the demonic realm. Uh, which is actually frightening to some. But if you're in Christ, they have no power over you, which is a real blessing. Uh, another incentive to get to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, but what we're going to see is a, it, this is a prophetic chapter, as most of Revelation is. Some things have passed. Some things have yet to come. And we're going to see a world in our future, including the United States. It's going to be across the whole world where the church is raptured, or hapazo, or whatever language you want to say it in. The church, the Lord calls us up. We enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb in, in his, his abode. Uh, but the world here on earth has largely rejected God. Now, we're starting to see that, and we see it, we're starting to see it more in our country, too. Just the rejection, anything about God, public life, private life, Sometimes I witness to people, and I'm gentle when I witness because I really want them to come to saving faith, and their faces get contorted. I read body language, and they get very angry. They don't even know why they're angry. I'm just talking about God, and Jesus loves them and stuff, and, you know, you a lot of head shaking. You've experienced it, too. Um, there is a, a force, right? As God removes the veil, we see the force behind how people are controlled in this world. But this is a time in the earth's future where... Um, be careful what you ask for because the world has pretty much... Now, God is not weak. He can do whatever he wants. But he's given human beings free will. So the world has largely pushed God out, pushed Jesus Christ out, and God basically steps back, including his blessings, and everything starts to implode. And again, I see, I see a fracturing in our culture. The smartest people, Yale and Harvard educated, you know, um, these, these leaders, political leaders of the world and our cities... They're powerless to stop the chaos and the, the division in our culture because they've pushed away the Prince of Peace. So don't be surprised if there's no peace when you, you know, tell the Prince of Peace that he's not welcome. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at it in four parts. And here's something very fascinating, too. I have some in this church that I talk to from time to time that have come out of the New Age movement. 
And the New Agers actually have an eschatology too. This is fascinating. And it, com- it coincides with ours, but for a different reason. So if you follow New Age, and there's different forms of it, uh, their eschatology or their understanding of end times is that the Mother Earth will eventually purge herself of the negative influences. Well, guess who that is? That's the church filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, those Christians, they get in the way of progress and science and, you know, using aborted fetal parts to cure cancer. And, you know, we're just, we're just an annoyance and a nuisance to the world. We vote and, and we vote uh, for moral reasons. But according to some New Age eschatology, the, the, when, when we go and people say, well, what's the world going to be like when all the Christians are removed? Well, the world is going to say good riddance. Thankfully, they're gone. And that's going to be a very sad time. So we're going to look at this, and, and I'm going to make the points here. And, and again, it's actually five parts, not four parts, but let's jump in. So verse 13, it says, "Then so we're in the middle of the trumpet judgments. We saw the, the seals being broken. Eventually, we're going to get to the vial or the bowl judgments. The trumpet judgments are right in the center. It says, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So one out of five is the sixth trumpet, is the releasing of these angels of the Euphrates. Now, There's things in here that are key, right? The four horns of the golden altar in heaven. We've seen this before. Uh, The last time we looked at it and and we got a glimpse of God's throne room, uh, this was where the incense and the prayers of the saints were being risen up. And when I say before the Lord, as if if the stage was his throne, you know, this peace, this I say furniture, but furniture is such a, a poor parallel. But for the sake of, you know, we have furniture of wood and stuff. God has really nice furniture. Uh, it's very spiritual. And, and there's this thing, this item in front of him that has the four horns on it where the prayers of the saints and the incense has been offered. And we've seen this, right? If you're following this chronologically. In addition, when Moses and the children of Israel made these pieces of furniture for spiritual reasons on the earth, the tabernacle, then the temple, which was a permanent structure. He had this, this piece of furniture with the four horns on it. And what is the Bible saying? We've covered this, that everything that was made on the earth for spiritual reasons, there was, it was a copy of what was in heaven. So when God gave Moses instructions, human beings did the best they could to fashion these items in the temple, in the tabernacle, to be a mirror of what was going on in God's heaven, which is pretty awesome. Now, why why am I, Pastor Joe, why are you getting so hung up on these, these details of this thing here? And the reason is because the four horns on the earth when it was made, the blood of the innocent sacrifice was to be sprinkled on the horns, and that was for a sin offering. Folks, this is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is all over this book. Remember, Revelation, apocalypsis, means unveiling. And some people read it and like, this is scary. But if you really read it with the eyes that God wants you to see it with, you see Jesus all through this. So the sin offering, he died on the cross for the expiation of our sins, a propitiation, all those big words. And it just means that our, our sins have to be paid for because our sins separate us from God. 
So everywhere that you look in God's kingdom and everything that's around him, it all, Jesus is a focal point. Verse 14, you just have to find it and you just have to see the symbolism, find where it is. Um, and, and you can see the parallels 14 and 15, which we just read two out of five are the fallen angels. And there's four of them. Now people do get confused. They're like, all right, you're talking about this angel. You're talking about that angel. This one fell from heaven. People, they're like, well, who's the, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Well, John knew because he was actually seeing it. But all you have to do is differentiate between which angels have the trumpets. They're doing God's bidding. They're good. Which angels are free? If they're good and they're obedient, they don't need to be bound. Who are the angels that are bound and have to be released? Of course, those are the fallen angels or the demonic realm. So again, God is, he's kind of stepping back and the trumpet sounds and these angels are released. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday or you're new to the church, I would really encourage you to get, go on the website and get the last few messages or from the beginning for free because they're foundational to what we're understanding today. As a matter of fact, we are in the latter part of chapter nine. We started out in the early part of chapter nine, which really this makes a lot more sense when you get that foundation. We talked about fallen angels. We talked about Jesus pre-incarnate seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We see the incarceration of angels uh, that are disobedient and don't follow the proper uh, parameters where they're kept. So it's, it's really kind of neat. It really is. And you don't see it that much in the scripture. But for this reason, God wants us to see these things. So the river Euphrates. Well, if you go on a map today, it's mostly, not solely, but mostly in modern day Iraq, right? The country of Iraq. Um, and I'll tell you, when our troops went over there, a lot of museums, boy, you want to talk about something that establishes or confirms the scripture. Sadly enough, when ISIS went through, they destroyed a lot of history, right? But there's still pictures and there's still artifacts that they've tried to, you know, the relics. But it basically, you dig in the sand in the Middle East and you'll find something from an ancient civilization that reinforces what the scripture says. So Euphrates today still runs that river. It's been running for thousands of years, and it's pregnant with symbolism in the Bible. In Genesis, it's where life began. Also, the, it represented later on the Babylonian Empire physically and spiritually. It represented Babylon as a sort of um, cultish religion, which was counterfeit of the truth. Now, sadly enough, some religions today have elements of the old cultish Babylonian symbolism. You know, some of the, uh, the elites today, um, you know, in their rejection of Christ, they have a lot of their symbolisms. They get them tattooed on their body. They, they, they have signs that they have amongst each other, between each other, um, because they, are, they have completely abandoned God. So we're going to look at this that as we go through the scripture later, that the false prophet, this great ecumenical leader, and I don't say great in a good way, great could mean powerful, wicked, bad, that he revives this old cultish, what we would think of as a dead religion, but it's alive and well in the spiritual world. You could say that this area, right, is the origin of life. And I, I, I was witnessing the somebody, uh, I always forget who I'm talking to anymore. I've talked to some physicians, I've talked to different people recently, and uh, it'll come to me. But I was witnessing to the person, 
And I said, listen, you're science-minded, so am I. I went to Rutgers for four years. I took a lot of science. I said, the anthropologists and the archaeologists and the Bible all agree that the origin of life was in this area. And they're like, hmm. I'm like, we, you know, we, we don't agree on everything, but there's a lot of agreement in, you know, if you study your Bible, you study biblical archaeology, you'll find these things. So this area represents the origin of life, but also represents the origin of sin and rebellion against God. And later in Revelation that we'll see, this area is going to represent the final judgment of evil and sin right at this very place. And in the end times, when it really starts to heat up, I believe physical Babylon in Iraq will... Actually, Saddam, Saddam Hussein put billions of dollars before he was taken out into reviving Babylon. And I believe it'll happen again. Okay, it all fits into this eschatological model. Verse 15, you see this progressive punishment. The angels in the fifth trumpet, right, which we covered last Sunday, they could only harm the inhabitants of the earth. They couldn't kill them. God gave them strict boundaries, right? And, and I believe that and it doesn't say that anybody repented, but I believe it's in God's mercy. Even his punishment is progressive, you know? Um, even today, his punishment is progressive. Usually, if we find ourselves in a bad situation, we can look back and see the warning signs. That's God's mercy. So he does, I believe, some warning in the origin of this chapter, and now it's now they have the power to, uh, to take life, these demonic uh, creatures. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for people to die once and then the judgment. So I would encourage you, get saved today. If you don't know the Lord, this time is coming upon the earth. I don't know if it'll be next year. I don't know if it'll be 10 years. We're not date setters. Only God knows. But I do know that if you're hoping that this world gets better, through secular humanism, you're going to be very disappointed because it can't. When a world pushes out the Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace, the peace leaves as well. And we're seeing that in our country. So when sin and death entered the world through Adam and Eve, they forfeited this stewardship to Satan and the fallen angels to some degree. We see that in Matthew 4. And just giving you a little context here. You know, even when Jesus was out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... The devil basically tried to get um, Jesus to take the circuitous route to his setting up his kingdom. And Satan tried to tempt him to say not to go to the cross. But I can give you these kingdoms of the world. I have control over them. And Satan, he's usually a liar. He was actually telling the truth there. Because the forfeit of, of sin, and, and the forfeit of, of, of what was given to the first federal head parents um, was forfeited to partially the demonic world when sin and death entered the world. So you, you, you're starting to see, we talked last Sunday about, you know, the demonic creatures and where they're incarcerated, and um, this only could have happened because sin and death entered the world, right? So there's, there's just a lot here. It really is fascinating. My question to you, is this the world you want to live in forever? And some do. Some do. And I don't say this mean or pejorative, but... There's people in this world that are so emotionally distraught over what they're seeing because they love this world. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we should love the people in the world and we should want to see them saved. But this world system is poised against God. We see this in the scripture, right? And, and sadly, there's too many self-professed Christians that love this world that don't see themselves as pilgrims passing through, as the Bible says, 
but they, they really want to stay here forever. Things are going too good for them. They love it. First John 2 says, if anyone loves the world, now it doesn't mean the people. Uh, I believe the word is cosmos in the Greek. It can also be translated as the world system, which is poised against God. So if anyone loves the world, the world system, the love of the Father is not in them. And folks, we don't realize how much God protects us. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to see. And, and again, I'm, I love to do apologetics. I love to debate. I love to talk to people who don't know the Lord and they're searching, but they have questions. Um, and, and they say, how could a loving God dot, dot, dot. I'm actually going to address that at the end. But we don't realize today, even in this sinful world, how God hasn't given up the world totally to evil. He, he's protecting us, right? But in these judgments, that starts to erode as the Lord is more pushed out of this world. Verse 16 through 17. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses like, were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So three out of five is the description. Now, again, some see this as, uh, as a human army. I have some problems with that, and people will do this. They'll look at modern technology and, like, the last segment, they were clearly demonic. Uh, and people said, I think that John's describing helicopters, Apaches. No, he's not describing helicopters. And, you know, if you read the entire scripture, you'll see what God says. You know, the fallen angels and the abyss is opened and, and they come out of the abyss. And so you, you have to, when you have bizarre interpretations of Revelation, by the time you get to the end of the book, you can't reconcile them. You have to read it for the way God wrote it, right? John is doing his best to describe these creatures. He's never seen them before, obviously, and we've never seen them before. But here he sees a vision of them being released. There's another issue, and I've studied warfare for many years, different wars, uh, even the Battle of Stalingrad, uh, Hitler's Sixth Army. He thought he was going to be able to take the Russians, but he overstretched his supply chain. And uh, General Zhukov, I believe it was, the Russian um, right? He was able to uh, pinch, pinch the Sixth Army, but the, the air bridge was lost. And we've learned, modern warfare has learned from a problem with the supply chain. So you're talking about that Battle of Stalingrad was a little shy of a million troops with a supply chain that failed. You're talking about a number that's 200 million, which is more than two-thirds of the United States population. That's a lot of people. So it's just physically an impossibility to move troops in that number across. And it doesn't even say where they're going. But what he's saying here is that these... So I just want to dispel some of the um, ideas that are out there that I don't think are biblical. I don't think they line up. They're, they're innumerable. Now, considering in Second Kings 19 in the Old Testament that one angel killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army, they're pretty powerful, okay? So one angel was able to wipe out 185,000 troops. Now remember, these Assyrians were brutal people. They tortured, they, they just were horrible, and God humbled them with this one situation, 2 Kings 19. So if you look at the earth, and there's a few billion left after some of these judgments, these fallen angels will have no problem finding and killing 
people on the earth, even though they're outnumbered. Um, now, context for the fifth trumpet, again, the focus in the fifth trumpet was mainly these horse-like creatures with wings, and they were grotesque-looking as John described them. Uh, but we see that these creatures in the sixth trumpet can sting and bite from front and back. They're just odd creatures, but they're something that no one's ever seen anymore or seen before. The breastplate, breastplates, uh, similar to the fifth trumpet, uh, they're fiery red, similar to the war horse of the apocalypse, also symbolizing fire. Uh, the blue and yellow uh, smoke, depending on what's being burned, can appear blue. You ever see that, right? Something is burned and it's like blue billows. And smoke will change colors depending on what's being burned. Uh, and sulfur gives off a yellowish color. So it's a really awful, awful time. The heads of the horses are like lions. They're ferocious, similar to the fifth trumpet. And again, out of their mouths, it, there's repetition here, fire, smoke, and brimstone. Verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads. And with them, they do harm. So four out of five is more details from these creatures. They can get you from, from the front or behind. You know, if you, if you think you're going to escape them and they passed you, they have these tails with serpent heads, and it's just really weird and creepy. But let's just say you don't want to meet them. <laughs> and I've said before, uh, Hollywood horror movies, you can close your eyes or leave the movie theater. If you have a bad dream, you could wake up. When this comes upon the earth, there's no escaping. They will find you. And, and again, if you don't know the Lord, the church isn't here at this time. So let me, I have to make sure, it's like God said, make sure you say that. Uh, because if you're in Christ, God's wrath is, it's, it's, it's not for you. The Bible is very clear about that. You've been covered uh, under the blood of Jesus Christ. So the carrot has ended, here is the stick. You ever hear that? The carrot and the stick. The carrot is something to entice, to get you to change your behavior and your heart. The stick is something that, unfortunately, there's a more harsher approach. And the carrot has ended. We're in the age of the carrot. We're in the age of grace. We're in the age of the church. We're in the age of Christ. And it's just fully there. You can easily find someone, if you're not sure, to talk to that can encourage you and strengthen your faith. And, and I love the lyrics of that last fourth worship song. You know, the world measures me by a certain standard and I don't measure up. I measure myself by a certain standard. I've been told that I'm a failure. I've been told that I'm a loser. I'm paraphrasing the lyrics, but the beauty of Jesus Christ is he takes you as you are. Yeah, but you don't know what I did Saturday night. Who cares? You don't have to tell me. God knows. Let him work on you. See, we're in the age of the carrot. We're in the age of, of grace and of love and of God wooing people. And, and much of our culture is just, they want nothing to do with the Lord. And I don't understand it. There's unemployment. There's depression. There's more overdoses. There's suicides. There's, and people still don't look up and say, well, what's the answer to this? And I don't, again, I don't say this. I'm not a mean person. I, I say it out of sorrow. You know, I, I go to great lengths to try to convince people to trust in Jesus, to be saved. Because I don't, I don't care if you're a stranger. You know, I don't care if you're the kid pumping my gas. I don't want to see anybody go through this. I mean, that's a pastor's heart. That's why I do this. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it's not fun to preach either. 
But it, it is the truth. And the preachers who ignore this stuff because they want their congregations to grow and they want their congregations to like them, they're not doing God any justice nor their hearers any justice. So this is where we're at. Only Jesus saves. Your only escape is Christ. Verse 20, the last two verses. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. This is not an exhaustive list of sins, but it's some of the things that God is trying to express to us. Five out of five. We either repent or or we rebel to the very end. Before we leave this earth... We either have repented, it just means to change and to turn towards God, or, or we're still in rebellion. And that's, that's sad. That's really sad. I, I've done enough, and people have asked me to do, um, you know, hospital visits and stuff. And I, I really pray. I try really hard to convince somebody to the very end that they're hard in their heart to give their heart to Christ. You know what I'm saying? And I'll see when I get to the other side how many actually did. God is a merciful God. If you, if you want to know, I also believe when people are in a coma, their eyelids close, but there's no ear lids. You know, and I know many people who have been in an unconscious state, the people have prayed over and talked to, and it, it's going in. Some pass away, but some have woken up and said, I heard everything that you said. I just couldn't come out of my conscious level and, and speak to you. And they can regurgitate what that person said while they were laying there. So I believe that even a person in their last state, that if they're that hardened, that he allows them through mercy to be in that state, to be able to hear, to be able to listen, to be able to take another chance to receive Jesus before they leave the earth. That's my opinion. Um, so verse 20, they didn't repent of the worship of other gods. Uh, in the broader sense, idolatry, um, even religion. Some people think that religion is going to save them, but they have no relationship with God. Jesus made that clear in the first century that these things aren't true. He wants our hearts. He wants a relationship with us, not just a little something here and there or when we're in trouble. And that was me before I, became, I was saved. And then when I got saved, I looked back and goes, boy, I, I definitely wasn't saved back then after reading the scripture. But I'm a different person now. So um, some, the works of their hands, people build lifestyles. They build businesses. They build um, their reputation from the ground up. And they worship that. They're so engrossed in that that they don't have any time for God. Uh, The demonic worship, I'll save for later because he mentions that as well. He also speaks of, and this is not an exhaustive list, uh, murders, sorceries. Sorceries is interesting because in those days, pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy, in those days, they combined, believe it or not, <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They combined loud music, right, usually heavy percussion with some type of drug or mind-altering substance, worship of demons, and orgies. So what's changed in thousands of years? Really nothing. People still do that stuff, right? Uh, but it's just in a different form. Well, I don't worship the, the, the calf god. Okay, but you're doing the same thing that the people back then did, right? It's just a a way to go into another place and not consider God to continue to push him out of your life. And theft. 
So, you know, God doesn't like us stealing stuff either. I guess, I don't know how many politicians will be in heaven, but that's just a joke. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> Remember, sin is forgivable. Uh, Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And I would just say, like, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, don't be like them. Don't wait until this time. Repent now. Change. God has given us the power of free will. And this is amazing, and it's, a, it's almost like a, 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 an enigma. God has given us the power of free will to even reject him. So when God tries to draw us through his love and through the cross and through preaching and the word and other people, um, we have the power to say to God, no. Isn't that amazing? He's given us that power. But my question is, why would you do that? You know, why would you, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. But he has given us the power of free will. We can say no. That's the biggest tragedy ever to face the human race are for those that refuse to be saved. So let me leave you with this. Why would a loving God do something like this? You know, today there's a big push to ask for justice in different forms. And I don't hear a lot of people asking for mercy. What I was taught as a new believer was, and I was in law enforcement, and it actually changed how I, I mean, I didn't do anything terrible but, um, or bad, but it changed my outlook on how I did my job. Because when you ask for justice, be careful with this, because it's a big word today. To me, justice is like a, boom, a boomerang. A, B, and C, I don't like what you're doing. Justice, turn around hit you in the back of the head because D E and F is what you're doing. And God is going to hold you accountable. When you show no mercy, mercy won't be shown to you. And a lot of people are calling out for justice for the things they want, but they're not looking in the mirror about the things they're doing wrong. So I know as a Christian, it made me more merciful because I'm like, well, I sin too. It's just maybe not as obvious as those type of sins. We have to be very careful with how we handle justice and mercy. They're unwieldy at times. Let the Lord do the justice part. We should be like Christ in how we seek mercy. So let me give you a short list, and, and I have to give you a little disclaimer here. Actually, there's about 30 things on here. This list is evil. That's accepted. Things that you can find in the scripture that God says don't do because you're inviting evil spirits to come and talk to you. This, some of these things are clearly demon worship. Uh, some of these things are just evil. Now, as I go through this list, I'm not judging anyone. What I'm doing is I'm telling you the system over several decades or more that has been created in the world, hundreds of years, centuries, and in the United States, where our culture is. Remember, in law enforcement, I took an oath to uh, uphold the Constitution to serve and protect, patriotic, super patriot. But I see a country that has largely rejected common sense, justice, mercy, pushed the Prince of Peace out, and this is what you get. So let me read to you what we do collectively in the United States alone. The love affair with the supernatural apart from God. Psychics, haunted houses, tarot cards, Ouija boards, seances. And they're all designed to call up the world that's not ours. And you never know what you're going to get when you do that. Shows on TV that are mainstream. Vampires, zombies, witches, warlocks, wizards. 
Lucifer. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I have to laugh because I, my wife and I moved to a new place in, in New Jersey, and uh, I, I have to tell all my neighbors about Jesus, and I'm a pastor and stuff, right? So my next-door neighbor, is about 10 years younger than me. He's a ni- nice guy. So he comes to me one day. I'm out in the, in the yard. You never know what you're going to get. And he goes, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay. He goes, I've been watching the show on TV. It's called Lucifer, right? It's about Satan. And he goes, I know you know the Bible and the things of God. He goes, so I'm going to tell you what they say. And can you tell me what's good and what's, you know. So, of course, I'm trying to lead him to Christ through it. And this is what the Bible says. But in the show Lucifer, and I haven't seen it, but he's, you know, he's a good guy sometimes. You know, he has these pangs of consciousness and he tries to right wrongs. This is the stuff that's twisting the minds of our youth. And you might say, oh, it's just, I mean, I could watch it and not be changed, but I don't know if I would want somebody watching it that is impressionable, right? So this is what we have. We have shows about the devil. We have, there's one show about a serial killer who dismembered people, and then he started to work for the FBI. Um, Grotesque false gods of polytheism. It's mainstream. Half man, half element, half man, half elephant. People worship these freakish-looking gods, and I know some people who do. Uh, Gods with multiple arms and legs. Hybrids of God and humans. Titans. Reminds me of the Nephilim of Genesis 6. You know, the intermingling of humans with with satanic beings, right? You can can read that on your own. Um, Here, you want to talk about evil? Slavery exists. We're talking about stuff that happened hundreds of years ago today, which is wrong. And good thing we got rid of it. It was evil. But it's, it's happening today. And I go on the UN and the websites, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. North Korea, men are being sold for their muscles, for their bodies, physical labor. North Africa, um, the Uyghurs in China are being rounded up because they're an ethnic minority and being used for slave, slave labor. You're kidding yourself if you don't think this stuff goes on. We're in an American bubble here, okay? Um, women and girls being sold for sex all across the world. And there's been, the news covers what they want to cover. I mean, there's been some, in this administration and law enforcement, they've really put a lot of effort into stopping the sex slave trade. But why isn't the world stopping it? This is a horrible thing to think about. And yeah, and our church actually, um, I got to look it up again, but for years we um, gave money as a church to this this company that they were really smart. They came in with hidden cameras and they went into some of these countries and they exposed what was going on to these young girls. And then they would go to the authorities and say, either you fix this or this is going to be on the international news. And it's been very effective. Oh, we should pray, but I'm also for it. Let's do something about it. Um, babies dismembered alive, limb by limb in the wombs, and then their parts being sold to laboratories. I covered this uh, right around five years ago, maybe six, when this thing blew up. And I said from the pulpit, I remember, I said, I bet you nothing's going to happen. Look it up. Nothing's happened. Well, of course, if you sell fetal tissue to a lab, you're going to create a demand, it's economics, to get more of these abortions, to convince more of these young girls that they should do this. So, and it's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it, talking about this stuff. Um, Nothing is sin anymore. Everything is normalized. The diagnostic and statistical manual, the the psychiatrist and psychologist Bible, has been changed five times. They're working on a sixth one. And now they're trying to push for pedophilia, sex between adults and children, to be normalized. 
This is a big push that's going on in our country. It's big in social media. Many countries in Europe have lowered the age of an adult so people can legally have sexual relationships with children. Satanists, the Church of Satan, sued. <laughs> there is a Church of Satan. It sued townships to display these grotesque Baphomet, half goat, half man, with the pentagram and statues with little children next to it. I've seen pictures of it. It's disgusting. Uh, they sued municipal uh, townships and have won to put their creepy idols on the property. Uh, they've also sued for tax-exempt status, and in 2019, the IRS awarded the Church of Satan tax-exempt status, just so you know. Fascination with freakish superheroes, right? Freakish, hybrids, um, cyborgs, half people, half uh, machine, which is already being practiced or, or attempted today, little by little, to m marry the human flesh and DNA with machines to make us more productive and, and things like that. Um, you know, the love affair with aliens and alien abductions. I don't know if these things, and I believe that some of them are just satanic, but if you ever, somebody did a study on all the people who ever said they were abducted by aliens, and I could look this up and find it, I've read it, and they were all negative. They were, they were probed, they were prodded, they had tissue removed, they were beaten, they were um, invaded. Um, so these alien abductions, it's not like E.T. Phone home, remember that? Right? The, the friendly, little, funny-looking, big-eyed aliens. When people get into this stuff or they've had an experience, and I don't know, again, I don't know if it's satanic. I don't know what it is. Um, but they've all had, bar none, negative experiences with this. Okay? And, and people have a love affair with this stuff. The newest one, and this is where I'm going to leave. I could do this all morning, but I won't, is the newest love affair with communism. Oh, you've been watching. <laughs> Understand this. I, I love, well, it's a weird relationship. I have studied, I studied in high school and college, this, the 20th century and what it brought as far as revolutions, socialism, communism. And let me tell you something, it is depressing. And people, they want to, people today want to, and I know we have a lot of corrupt politicians, but they want to exchange representative government where at least you have a voice. A lot of politicians don't listen to us. But collectively, we can say, get out. After 40 years in Congress, get the heck out. You do, you're a bum. And get some fresh blood in here. To go to a system, right, where there is no God, now, some communist nations like China have these superficial surface churches, but you've heard of the underground church in China. They have to make it look good. But they're strictly commanded not to speak about the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, or anything supernatural. Make it surface. Because communism, if you study it, and I have studied it, in their manifesto, there is no God. You know who you worship? The state. You worship the party, and it's a one-party system. And this is where we want to go in this country. Uh, we need to be praying more. And I'm seeing people out there with the black helmets and the red hammer and sickle. Communism. There's no mistaking this. And they're making their voices heard. And they're swaying some of our politicians. If you are the church, you need to pay attention to who you're supporting in public office. Because if we go that way, guess what? We're going to be underground, just like all the other ones across the seas. 
Cuba. I have some um, lovely people from Cuban ethnicity that have stories about escaping Cuba. Um, Russian, the Russian purges, uh, China, Mao Zedong, and they always go for the youth. They dumb down the history. They twist the minds of the youth. They get them to cause this revolution, and then they don't do anything for the youth. They don't, keep, they don't have to. They don't have to keep their promises. There's no voting anymore. So this, this is where we are. Now tell me again what a virtuous society, a virtuous society we live in. God eventually is going to say, here you go. Why am, I, why am I going to fight with you people anymore? This is what you want. Have it. So why would a loving God? God didn't do anything. He just gave this society in the future. He's giving them what they want. So my question is, in the sermon is, be careful what you ask for. I'm going to show uh, a quick video. And I've been trying to balance the harsh reality of revelation with God's dual nature. Again, we are in the age of grace. So in, in this video, you're going to see Mary Magdalene. Well, it's an artist rendition who had several demons in, inhabiting her. Whatever she was doing, she invited these into her life. Um, you see the before and after. The religious leader tries to cast them out. He can't. They're very powerful. And then you see her completely changed in the next segment. You don't really actually see Jesus doing it, but you actually see the effects of before and after. So um, check it out. It's very interesting and it's very enlightening. And it is God who can keep these things at bay. But again, what do we want? So check it out. In the name of Adonai... God of the heavens, cease to deceive this human creature. I command you, in covenant with Abraham, in the names of Jacob, Isaac, Moses, the all-powerful Ashadai. It's you. It's real. There. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I'm, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. 
I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense. I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. It makes two of us... <laughs> How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. It was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? He performs miracles and seeks no credit? Well... What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I... I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between... was him... So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I have to be home to prepare for Shabbat, as I'm sure you do. So men that you're even hosting Shabbat dinner. It will be nothing like yours, I'm sure of that. But I'm going to try. Shabbat Shalom, Nicodemus. Jesus changes lives. For some, it's more dramatic than others. For others, it's, it's not as dramatic. But folks, this, in the first century, even John chapter 21, he said, these are some of the things that Jesus did. The last chapter of the Gospel of John, he said, I suppose that if all the things that Jesus did were written down. The libraries of the world couldn't hold it. So the gospel writers, the witnesses, the Romans wrote about him, that he did magic because they didn't understand what he was doing. You could lead somebody to the deity of Christ through the Roman writings, putting the Bible on the side. This is who we serve. And there is a war between good and evil. 
And this world, unfortunately, is moving towards decadence. It's moving towards declension. And I keep saying it reminds me of a sinking ship. And there are too many in this world that have the buckets. And then the water's to their knees, and then it's to their waist, and they still say, more buckets. But people like us have to show people another way. We have to show them the life preservers. While they're doing the buckets on that sinking ship, we have to try to bring people to the life preserver, which is Jesus Christ. This world will be destroyed, folks, and that's just where we are in Scripture. And I don't know, maybe through the sadness and the division and the things that we see, some people, it'll click, and they will say, I need to look for something greater because this isn't working. And I hope that that's the case. So this is a time on a macro level that this, these things will happen. But I would just ask for those of you that are on the fence, do the wise thing. Do the thing that's best for you and your family and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your blessings. And um, we just pray, Lord, that if the, even if there's anybody watching on TV, that they would um, consider you, consider your love and your grace and your ability to change them for better. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.